All right, this morning I have a message for you that I actually preached about five or six years ago, and I don't make any apology for that. I plan on teaching this message every so often because I believe it is so important for us to kind of keep track of these things. Uh, the message title, if you have your outline there, is simply titled Words. I want to talk to you this morning about words, and the whole message will be just about that. Uh, back in 1839, there was a play written, later produced as a stage play, uh, and although the play may not be remembered at all, there was a line in that play that has lived on throughout the time since it was first written. And the line that I refer to is simply this. It says, the pen is mightier than the sword. The pen is mightier than the sword. Now, what that simply means is there are times when the spoken word or the written word has more power and can be a more effective tool than direct violence can. And, of course, we have evidence in society all over that shows us that that is the fact. We can point to many times where what is spoken through the press or what is written through some author can have a greater effect and exert more authority, more power than military action can. And a couple of days we're celebrating our independence. The American Revolutionary War was really not started by the shot heard around the world at the Old North Church, Old North Bridge, rather, in Concord. Uh, that might have been when the military portion of that war began. But the reality is that war began with a document written by Thomas Jefferson titled the Declaration of Independence. And the words of that document are what drew the lines uh, and gave the 13 colonies the courage they needed to stand against the rule of the British. There are other examples I could give you as well. But what we understand is that from all that, the most powerful and most potent tool we have oftentimes is our words. Our words can oftentimes achieve things that nothing else can. Our words can have effects on people uh, and on situations that can't be matched by anything else we might be due. Uh, words have power. Carefully chosen words have an impact that can last for centuries. Now, we have an example of that this morning. You've read it here uh, just a minute ago, an example of, of that what happens when we use our words in a certain way. We commemorate this every Sunday before Easter. So we call it Palm Sunday. I want you to look at the story again in John chapter 12 and verse 12. Uh, Jesus Christ had just performed one of the greatest miracles ever done. Uh, he has just brought a man back to life, the man by the name of Lazarus. And those who witnessed the event that day, who heard, that it, who heard about that uh, and had the impact of what happened that day, uh, they saw Jesus Christ do that, and it impacted them. And it was so great, again, look at verse 13. They took branches of palm trees and went forth to meet him and cried, saying, Hosanna, blessed is the king of Israel that cometh in the name of the Lord. They were so excited, so impressed by what Jesus Christ did, uh, that they responded by making him king or declaring him to be king. And those words they spoke that day would haunt them for the rest of their lives and for some for the rest of eternity. They honored him and proclaimed him as their king. They put palm leaves down before him, which was the custom to honor royalty at that time. They spoke words in a moment of passion that would be a testament against them forever. So this morning, I guess in what might be an odd topic, we're going to talk about words. We're going to track what God says about words in his, in his, in his word and how words are used, how words can be, should be used, uh, because God has a directive for everything. God has a way for everything in our life to be done. And he instructs us both of the benefits and the liabilities of everything that we use in this world. Some of the greatest accomplishments that could ever come, come by the way of words. Churches grow and believers draw closer together simply by words that are used. And in the same way, some of the greatest damage can be done by words, how words are used. Churches can be divided and Christians can be put at odds with each other simply by the words that are spoken from the mouths of those believers. So I'm hoping you'll pay attention today. I hope you'll allow God to speak to you about this very important topic because I believe God has something to say to all of us this morning about this topic, 
of words and how words can have an impact on our lives here and also have an impact on what happens to us when we enter eternity. So I've got three points for you this morning. If you've got an outline, they're written out there for you this morning. Here's the first point. God's plan for mankind began with words. God's plan for mankind began with words. We've established this point here many times over the years. It was never God's plan to hide himself from his creation. Uh, the deists believe that God started things off, uh, put mankind on this earth, and then just sort of pulled away from them. He hid himself from them and never revealed himself to them again. But in fact, Scripture shows us the exact opposite. From the very beginning, God wanted to make himself known to us, though, to those that he had made. And it should be significant to us that words were the medium by which he used to accomplish that goal. He could have done that any way he chose to do it, could have revealed himself in any way possible because he had every resource at his disposal. But God determined that words were the most powerful and most effective way to make that happen. And there are three ways identified for, it, for us in Scripture as to how God did that. I'd like you to hold your hand there in John chapter 12 or 13, rather, or 12, and go back to Psalm 19. Go to Psalm 19. We're going to spend a few moments here in Psalm 19 this morning. And look at verse 1 of Psalm 19, and I believe these are familiar words to you. Psalm 19.1 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament showeth his handiwork. Day unto day uttereth speech, and night unto night showeth knowledge. There is no speech nor language where their voice is not heard. Their line has gone out through all the earth, and their words to the end of the world. In them hath he set a tabernacle for the sun, which as a, is as a bridegroom coming out of his chamber, and rejoices as a strong man to run a race. His going forth is from the end of the heaven, and his circuit unto the ends of it, and there is nothing hid from the heat thereof. God's first visible act as he steps out of eternity and into time was the creation of the universe and the creation of all the stars and all the planets that make up that universe. Have you ever wondered why he did that? Why was that the first thing God did? Why did God choose to fill his universe with all those things that the astronomers identify for us? Well, according to what we read here in Psalm 19, he did that because those planets and those stars and all those celestial bodies above us are there to provide words to us that reveal God's creation to to reveal to creation, rather, who God is. I want you to notice twice in this passage, the word speech is used. You also see the words voice and language and words, but nobody's speaking here. He's speaking of the things that were created, the celestial bodies above us. And again, these words that come from these bodies are the purpose, they identify the purpose for which all things, God made all things. And the purpose for that is that when a person looks up into the heavens, if that person is listening, what they will hear from what they see above them in those bodies are identifying who their creator is. It's showing them, showing them who made them. They'll hear a voice. They'll understand a language. They'll hear words in speech that clearly identify to them that those things did not appear by chance. It was not some random gathering of cosmic forces that somehow all collided. And from that explosion, the worlds and all the people in this world came to be. God chose words found in his creation to make known that he made all things. He used, in his very first act, God used words to communicate his message to mankind. Now, hold your hand there in Psalm 19 and go to John 1 for a moment. Again, very familiar words to you, I'm sure. Go to John chapter 1. In fact, you can let go of John 12. We're not going back there. I just realized. So if you need a third hand, you can let that one go and go to John 1 instead, all right? John chapter 1. And look at verse 1. 
In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Drop down to verse 14. Verse 14 says, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. So when God brought his Son from glory and placed him onto this earth, he declared that the Son of God's name on this earth should be Jesus, the Deliverer. That was his son's purpose for being here. That's why he came to earth to deliver Israel from their bondage and deliver their kingdom to them. In the broader sense, he came to this earth to deliver all mankind from their sin. So on this earth, the name Jesus describes for us the purpose for why he is here. But in eternity, before he stepped into time, his name was not Jesus. His name was the word. His function in eternity was to reveal God to his creation. His function in eternity was to communicate to mankind who their creator was, what qualities and characteristics made him up in terms of creation, that God and Father of all of us. And so God chose to call him the Word. And when God made the decision to rescue mankind from their sin, he sent that message to the earth clothed in flesh. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. The Word was made flesh. And dwelt among us, God again determined in his infinite wisdom that we would be able to know him best if he put his word in the fleshly form. God saw the power of words. God knew the effect that words could have. God knew nothing could have the impact. Nothing could present his message to us like words could. So much so that the second person of the Trinity is called the word. And that word became flesh and came onto this earth. And by that same word revealed God to us and made a way for us to be delivered from our sin. Does God believe in the power of words? To God, is the pen mightier than the sword? Absolutely. So through the physical creation and through the second person of the Trinity, God chose words to reveal himself and to reveal his plan. Now, go back to Psalm 19 again and pick up where we left off in verse 7. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. And the judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. Who can understand his errors? Cleanse me from secret faults. He's speaking there now, not just of words that are from from Jesus Christ or words in the creation. Rather, now he's speaking of a book. He's speaking of words that I put together in a book. When God chose to reveal himself, the third way he did that is to write a book to us. And notice what comprises that book. That book is not a book of ideas. That book is not, as Peter says, a book of cunningly devised fables. It is not a book of concepts or of platitudes or of wise sayings. It may contain all those things, but underneath all of that, that book is a book of well-chosen, well-conceived, perfectly preserved words. And God wanted there for, for there to be a way for us somehow to know him and to know his heart. God knew his ways were not our ways, that his thoughts were not our thoughts. He wanted us to know uh, these things about himself so we could respond to him and serve him and know him. And so he didn't write those things across the sky. He didn't use dreams and visions. Instead, he put his words into a book. He put it down in black and white in our language in a way that is understandable to us. Go back to Psalm 12, if you would. Go back to Psalm 12 and look at verse 6. 
Psalm 12, 6, the words, plural, of the Lord are pure words, plural. As silver tried in a furnace of the earth, purified seven times, thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. God wrote a book of words. God wrote a book of words, and the Bible tells us there in verse 7, he preserved those words for us in our language for us to have today. He showed us himself through a book, through words. And miraculously, he preserved those words for us and for all generations before us and all generations after us. Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That book is never going away. God, in his infinite wisdom, knew that the best way for us to know him and to follow him was by putting his inspired words into a book. What people need to know above everything else, they need to know the God who made them. There is no endeavor a person could pursue that could involve, they think could involve themselves in that could ever do for a person what knowing God would do for them. People need to know God. The people around you need to know God. Your neighbors and your friends and your family need to know God. They need to know the God who made them, and they need to know that he sent his word to them to save them. They need to know his ways. They need to know the thoughts of this great God. And so God chose words in every case to reveal his message to his creation. I hope I'm making my point this morning. I hope you see the value God places upon words. With that understanding, I want to move now to my second point regarding this whole idea of words. And that point is simply this. Our words have an impact. Our words have an impact. Words have power, so much so that's what God chose to use to communicate his message to us. And what that means is our words have power as well. I want to remind you again how we started this message. Uh, The playwright said, the pen is mightier than the sword. We can do more with our words than we could ever do with any physical activity we might involve ourselves in. And I want you to look at a very familiar passage this morning. I want you to go back to the book of James, if you would. Go back to the book of James. We're not going to read the entire passage this morning. I just want to read a couple of verses out of chapter 3 of the book of James. So go to James chapter 3. We'll begin reading there in verse 1. He says that, my brethren, be not many masters, knowing that we shall receive the greater condemnation. For in many things we offend all. If any man offend not in word, the same as a perfect man and also able uh, able also to bridle the whole body. Now, we're in a series on James and Thursday nights. We're going to look at this in great detail when we get to this chapter. But I want you to notice the chapter. What, the topic that James is addressing here, he is addressing the whole idea of words, how we uh, people, as people on earth uh, say, use the things that we say. James is using a physical instrument as a representation of that. He's referring specifically to our tongue. But what he's saying is that tongue uses words, and those words are what he's concerned about. Drop down to verse 8, if you would, of chapter 3 there of the book of James. James 3, 8. He says, but the tongue can no man tame. It is an unruly evil full of deadly poison. Therewith we bless God, bless we God, even the Father, and therewith curse we men, which are made after the similitude of God. Out of the same mouth proceedeth blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. Does a fountain send forth at the same place sweet water and bitter? Can the fig tree, my brethren, bear olive berries, either a vine figs? So can no fountain both yield salt water and fresh. Now, get a hold of what he's saying here. In our context, he is saying our words have power. And he's saying that our words can either bless or they can curse. 
the same tongue, the same mouth can be both used as a blessing and a curse. So I want to look at those two things just for a minute. I want to talk, first of all, about the blessing of words, how words can bless. In Romans chapter 10, verse 14, Paul is speaking of a preacher giving out the gospel to those who've not heard. And I want you to hear what he says. He says, how then shall they call on him whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? And how shall they preach except they be sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of them that preach the gospel of peace and bring glad tidings of good things. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah saith, Lord, who hath believed our report? So then faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Now, Paul is talking there about ministers presenting the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you remember back to our series of 2 Corinthians, you remember Paul has identified every believer as a minister. Not just those who are chosen vocationally to do that job. Rather, every believer is chosen to minister to somebody. You have a congregation somewhere God wants you to minister to. And we are to be giving out the good news to those that God brings to us. Now, as that message is given to us, how do we give it out? Again, verse 18 says, Have they not heard? Yea, verily, their sound went out into all the earth, and their words unto the ends of the world. That message you have is communicated primarily by words, by what you say. Primarily, God has given us the ability to learn our language, and maybe other languages as well. The specific purpose to that is to learn God through words and teach others about God through words as well. We learn salvation through words. We learn those words and then use those words to communicate that same gospel to somebody else. The message we have is a message communicated primarily by words. And the words God gives to us are words that can change an eternal destiny. God has given you words this morning. God has given you words out of a book that can change a person's course of life from hell to heaven. Folks, every time you give out the gospel of Jesus Christ, you are giving out words of blessing as you are telling somebody how to be rescued from their sin. Just as God spoke the world into existence through words, so also we give out his message. We talk to somebody and release them from the snares of the devil into the glorious freedom that comes by way of the cross as we speak the words of the gospel to them. A blessing that comes by words. Now, in 1 Thessalonians 4, Paul communicates to the church about a great event that's going to occur. He says, Jesus Christ is going to come for you one day. It may be today. And all those who have died before you are going to be reunited with you. And we're all going to ascend together into heaven. And then here's what he says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 18. After he tells them about this glorious day that will come, he says to them, comfort one another with these words. When somebody's going through a difficult time, when somebody has just experienced a great tragedy, God places words in the mouth of some other believer. And that believer, obeying the direction of the Lord Jesus Christ and God's Spirit, speaks those words to that one who is struggling. And by those words, that trial is made easier. By those words, the depression is not as deep. By those words, the despair is not as intense. Solomon said this in Proverbs 25:21. He said, a word fitly spoken is like apples of gold in pictures of silver. When a word is spoken at just the right time, a word that has originated with God's spirit and is led by him to be said in just the right way, what Solomon says is that is like a beautiful picture in a beautiful frame. A word spoken in time of difficulty is sometimes all that a person needs to find comfort that they seek in that difficulty. 
I got a text from of an individual in this church. I got a text from an individual outside of this church right after my dad died. It was amazing to me how just those texts, just those few words they said, spoken just at the right time, gave so much comfort to me at that time. It doesn't take much, folks. Words spoken like that are words of blessing to a soul that is struggling and simply needs comfort from some other believer in the spoken word. And then in Acts chapter 2, Peter's just spoken a message on the day of Pentecost. And the people have begun to respond to that message. Peter continues to preach to him there, and here's what he says in verse. Here's rather what it says in verse 40. It says, "And with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, Save yourselves from this untoward generation.' The Bible says there, with many other words, did he testify and exhort. I like that word, exhort. Uh, Peter was exhorting them with words. Uh, exhortation is nothing more than what the coach might do at the at the halftime of a game." He simply speaks to that team and encourages them and promotes them to do better, pump them up, if you will, to get them ready to play that second half. Exhortation is pumping a person up, giving them hope and encouragement and the energy that they need. Maybe they can't muster that up on their own, but the words that some other person uses will help them muster that courage up and that energy up to help them win the battle they're facing. And you see, that is done by words. It is done by what we allow to come out of our mouths. You see, folks, it's walking into this place and talking to some other brother or sister and realizing they're on the ropes. They're going down for the count. They're barely able to hang on. And it's you or I coming alongside that person and speaking just the right words to them as the Holy Spirit guides us. And in the process of doing that, we are lifting that person off the mat and reinforcing in their minds that everything God is and everything God has, everything God has promised is just in place. And God can and will do for them whatever he has said he can and will do for them. They may not be able to pull that out themselves, but some brother or sister coming alongside them with just the right word at just the right time gives them that reinforcement and that encouragement that they need. Give them the energy. Give them the hope. Give them the confidence that they need as you take their eyes and redirect them off of their circumstances and place their eyes back on the Savior again. Sometimes we can't do that ourselves. Sometimes we need somebody to come alongside and help us do that. And that's what exhortation is all about. You see, as a result, as we do that, that believer gets up and moves forward and continues in the work that God has called them to do or face what they previously were unable to face. Every word of exhortation that lifts a brother or a sister up is a word of blessing. As I encourage and strengthen, it helps that believer finish the race, not in their own strength, but in the strength from that one who came alongside them and gave them just the words they needed at just the right time to help them move along in the war that they're facing in their lives. They get their second wind and push on for the cause of Christ. Those are words of blessing, words that we can use to encourage and build up. We could talk about many others this morning. I want to move on to the other side of this that uh, James presents to us. Because James says not only are our words words of blessing, but our words can also be words of cursing. Not only can sweet water come from our words, but also bitter water as well. Not only can fresh water come from our words, but salt water as well. In the past years, our family has vacationed many times to the beach. On those vacations, we spent most of our time on rafts riding waves from the, out in the, in the ocean uh, onto the shore. I remember being at Virginia Beach one time and catching a wave with this raft. 
I don't know if it was the size of the wave or if I caught it at the wrong time. All I remember, that wave picked me up and started rolling me to the shore. (laughs) I just remember tumbling and tumbling and tumbling in the surf uh, going to that shore. Now, because I was caught off guard when that happened, I opened my mouth to yell (laughs) as that water came over me. And I swallowed a good portion of the Atlantic Ocean as a result of that. (laughs) And that salt water went down my throat. And that salt water went through my sinus passages and my throat burned and my face burned and my eyes burned. At that moment, I wished I had taken a vacation in the mountains. <laughs> I felt it all through my head. That is the effect, folks, of wrong words can have on somebody else. That's what it can feel like when we speak words of cursing to somebody else. No good found in them. No benefit found in them. They don't do anything to help or encourage another believer. They just burn that believer from head to toe. And all they can do is wait for the effects of those words to cease. Words of cursing. The Bible's identified those words for us. I'm going to read you about some of those this morning. Let me read you Romans chapter 16 and verse 18. Paul says this in Romans 16, 18. For they that are such serve not our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly. And by good words and fair speeches deceive the hearts of the simple. There are words of cursing. Labeled for us as deceitful words. Now, deceit is nothing more than fooling somebody to achieve your own purpose. That's what deceit is. It's saying whatever needs to be said, whether it's true or partially true or not true at all, just so that the ends of that person who is speaking can gain what they want. The best picture that I can give you is that of a salesperson who wants to sell you something and who will say whatever he or she has to say to you to get you to buy it. Words of deceit are words of manipulation. Words that are spoken to get you to do what the speaker wants you to do. They are words spoken to get you to think the way the speaker wants you to think. They can be words spoken with an attitude to make you feel wrong in some way for not doing what they want you to do, even though you're not wrong for not doing it. But they can make you feel as though you are. Did you know, this may surprise you this morning, did you know there are believers who attempt to manipulate other believers through their words? They will say something to create an impression. And through that impression, they'll seek to change your mind about something that they've decided is important to them. Whenever a person seeks to change your mind about someone or create an impression in your mind about someone that is not true, they are using words of deceit to do that. They are taking a situation and coloring that situation to serve their own purpose by their words. They're taking a person's behavior or way of doing something and are expressing it through their own interpretation to get you to see it the way they want you to see it and the way that they see it. And in those words, they have cursed that one whom they're speaking about. They've maligned the character of that person in your mind. And the result is that that person is thought of as less than how you thought of them before because of those words that were spoken. Words of deceit, bitter, salty words that change your impression about somebody. And then Paul says this in Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 6. He says, let no man deceive you through with, rather, let no man deceive you with vain words. Vain words. That expression, vain words, simply means words that mean nothing. We remember the word vanity in scripture simply means emptiness. It's words for words sake. No valid meaning, no valid purpose behind them. This may surprise you as well. There are people who actually speak just to hear themselves speak. Why would you laugh? There are people who talk, no value or importance to what they say. They just like to talk. Now, you may know somebody like that, and we may see that as just some kind of personality characteristic. It's just how they are. I find that Solomon puts that in a very different light. 
In Proverbs 10:19, Solomon says, "In the multitudes of word, multitude of words, there wanteth not sin, but he that refraineth his lips is wise." Solomon says that people who talk too much sooner or later are going to wander into sin. <laughs> the more words that we use, the more opportunity we give the flesh or the devil to take control of our words and to say something that we shouldn't have said. We embellish a story to make it sound better. We begin to talk about something that we know nothing about and give the false impression that we know all about it. We begin to make ourselves look good at the expense of making somebody else look bad. We begin to say things that might cause our thoughts in another person that might lead them to sin. And all because we got caught up in our own words and those words that we talked about because we talked so much that seemed innocent to begin with turned into words of cursing. And I believe this. I believe that if it came down to being a person who talked a lot or being a person who used few words, Solomon's advice and James' advice would be we should be people of few words. Say what you need to say. Choose your words carefully. Make sure that what you say is true. Say it and be done with it. Because if we go any farther with it, folks, we are in the multitude of words. And in the multitude of words, there wanteth not sin. And then if it can become words of cursing, can become like a mouthful of salt water to your listener. And then I want you to hear 1 Timothy chapter 6 and verse 4. Paul says this to Timothy. He is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strifes of words, whereof cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmisings. Now, wives, do not point at your husbands. And husbands, don't point at your wives. Do you know anybody who likes to argue? Steve, I don't know what that meant. Do you know anybody who always has to be right? <laughs> you know anybody who can't, simply can't let it go until they've made their point? Do you know anybody who has to convince you that their way of thinking is the right way long after you've decided it's not worth the battle? <laughs> what I've just described to you folks are words of strife. They are words that James would call words of cursing. Many a church has been split. Many a relationship has been harmed. Many a marriage has been divided because someone in that setting just had to be right. Just had to be right. And they refused to give up the fight until everybody saw it the way they saw it. Things just had to go their way. And even after you explain your side of it, even after you told them why you do or don't do what you do, whatever it might be, and why you think how you think, they just wouldn't stop. And then if you wouldn't go along with them, they find allies to join up with. They find others who would agree with them. And they pull in some other church member or some other relative. Or they find somebody who was felt, they thought was an authority who, of course, agreed with them. <laughs> and they would go use that person to keep the battle going and continue to strive just so they could be right. And just so they could win the argument. Now, folks, we may have strong feelings about some things. And that's okay. We may see things a certain way and feel that that is the right way to see them, and that's okay. It is certainly okay to express those feelings. It is completely wrong to express those feelings when it begins to create strife. When our approach is creating hard feelings in other people, when our opinion is causing division, when people are beginning to draw lines because we've set up a battleground, we are wrong, and that is sin. That is sin. Those are words of strife, and those are words of cursing. Now, Jesus Christ created division. He created division solely based on the claims he made about himself. Nothing else. 
if a division in a church or in a Christian home or in a Christian relationship is created for any other reason except to the fact that of who Jesus Christ is and the claims he made or the claims of the gospel or the claims of some clear biblical doctrine. If it's not based on any of those things, folks, it is of the flesh. It is of the devil. Bottom line. Bottom line. Division based on the fact that I'm expressing through my words things that aren't being done the way I think they should be done or people aren't behaving the way I think they should behave, that people aren't doing things the way I think they should be done are words of cursing. And I've heard folks who leave this church and can't stop talking about why they left. And they've got to bring my name into it or somebody else's name into it to prove why they made that choice. I'm not going to get off of this. I could, but I'm not going to. But let me just say this. If a person chooses to leave a church, why are they still talking about it? They chose to leave. <laughs> You're gone. You accomplished what you wanted to accomplish. Why do you still have to go and talk about it? I've had folks leave this church and come back to members of this church and talk to them about why they left. What is the point of that? Why would you do that? And why would you bring somebody's name into it as part of that? Those are words of cursing. And James says it ought not so to be. <laughs> And that's the bottom line. Uh, these words we speak, sometimes we think they're just harmless words, just expressing our opinion or whatever. No, we're creating sin in the body of Christ. We're creating strife among other believers, and that's wrong. That's wrong. Words of strife are like a huge gulp of salt water, and it burns every part of Christ's body as it goes down. Our words have power, folks, uh, just as God's words have power. And it's power that can be destructive or it's power that can be constructive. And it's all based on the words we use and how we use them and the intent we have and the motive we have when we speak those words. Here's my third point. We're going to be through. Our words have an eternal effect. Our words have an eternal effect. Go to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12. Now, these are very convicting words I'm going to read to you. And I think we all can kind of uh, fall into that category as we look at this this morning. Matthew chapter 12, look at verse 36. See what Jesus Christ says there. Our words have an eternal effect. Matthew chapter 12, verse 36. But I say unto you, Jesus Christ speaking now, but I say unto you, watch it, that every idle word that men shall speak, they shall give account thereof in the day of judgment. For by thy words thou shalt, thou shalt be justified, and by thy words thou shalt be condemned. Now, I realize this is the book of Matthew. I realize doctrine this book is not for us. But knowing how God feels about words as we've established that, and knowing the power and the effect that words can have, I believe the words I just read to you apply to every age. Someday, you and I are going to stand before God. And we're going to give an account of why we did why we did while we were on this earth. It's not about our salvation. Our salvation was settled at Calvary. We're going to stand before him at the judgment seat of Christ and give a report as to why we did what we did while we were on this earth. And God is going to, going to begin to question us and invest, investigate our motive for the things that we did for him while we served him here. Whether we did it or not solely out of our love for the Lord Jesus Christ, that's the only motive that will count. And in that day, folks, God will have all the evidence that he needs to set up either the rewards or lose rewards uh, as, as that judgment goes on. And according to what I just read here, the evidence will not be anything that he has to come up with on his own. I'll give him all the evidence that I need. He's not going to have to supernaturally strain himself to identify those motives. The evidence at the judgment seat of Christ that is going to be the, what shows my motive while I was here is the words that I used while I was on this earth. 
My words will be the basis for my judgment at the judgment seat of Christ. Listen to me. As unbelievable as this is, God has kept track of every word that I've spoken since I was saved. Everything I've said, God has kept track of, and especially in my service to him. And God's going to take my words at that judgment day, according to what Jesus Christ says there, and he's going to tell me what I said. <laughs> and then he's going to say, okay, Sabaka, do the words that I just quoted to you that are your words, do those show the love of Jesus Christ? Here's your words. Were those words of blessing? Or were those words of cursing? You said that you loved me. You said that you loved the body for which I died. Here are your words. Do you hear love in the words that I just quoted to you? And my gold and my silver and my precious stones or my wood and my hay and my stubble are going to be produced based upon my words that I spoke while I was right here. Folks, that's a sobering thought. That should cause us to be very careful with what we say, both to our people around us and to ourselves as well and to those that we come in contact with. It ought to certainly cause us to be careful what we say in the body of Christ, the body for which Jesus Christ died. Our words have meaning. Our words have impact. They have impact here. They have impact for all of eternity. I'll take you back to John chapter 12. Don't turn there. I want to remind you. The people on Palm Sunday spread palm leaves before Jesus Christ, and they said, Hosanna, our king has come. <laughs> Seven days later, they requested that a thief and a murderer be released and that Jesus Christ be condemned to death. And they beat him, and they tortured him, and they crucified him on a cross. <laughs> Seven days before, Hosanna to the king. Seven days later, crucify him, crucify him. <laughs> Vain words. Idle words, words of cursing. The condition of the heart is revealed by the words that are spoken. And folks, I'm going to tell you something. I don't care how we try to hide it. Sooner or later, what is in your heart is going to come out of your mouth. Sooner or later, it's going to happen. You may be very good at keeping it under control, but sooner or later, if it's down there, it's coming up. They say what's down in the well comes up in the bucket. It'll come up sooner or later. The condition of the heart is revealed by the words that we use, and eventually they're going to come out. So here's my question to you this morning that I want you to answer in your own heart today. What kind of words do you use? What do your words reveal about your heart? There is power in your words. Your words have an effect, so much so that someday your judgment at the judgment seat of Christ is going to be based on the words that you use. I want you to turn one more time, if you would, to Psalm 19. And when you get there, look at verse 14. This is David's prayer. At the end of this whole thing, as he talks about God's words, he realized, you know what? I've got to do some assessment of myself. I need to look at my words. I need to see what I'm saying to myself. And so Psalm 19:14 is David's prayer. Now, I want you to look at those words quickly. Look at them yourself. And then if you're able to, if this is your prayer, I'd like you to read these words out loud with me. So look at the words first to make sure you can do this. If you can do it, then I want you to read out loud with me Psalm 19 and verse 14. Here's the prayer. Let's say it together. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. One more time. Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in thy sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Let's pray.
Father, we want to thank you this morning for the practical instruction of your word. Father, I'm grateful to you that this book that we have before us, Lord, identifies everything in our lives that we need to be aware of. And Father, we also know this morning that you have a position to take on everything that we do and everything that we say. And Father, I pray that this group here this morning, those who may have watched on Facebook Live or on YouTube, might have gotten the point of your word this morning. Father, I pray you would help each one of us here to be careful with our words. Father, I pray you would help us to realize our words have great impact beyond our time of saying them. And Father, we realize also the words we speak can never be forgotten. Once they're said, they're out there forever. So, Father, help us as your people to be very careful in the words that we use. Help us, Lord, to be very careful in speaking to other believers. Help us to be careful in speaking to those outside of here who don't know Jesus Christ as Savior. Father, I pray you would help us to allow your spirit to control us so that the words we speak might be spirit-controlled and spirit-led every time we open our mouths. Father, help us to be people of pure words, of a few words. Help us to be people of pure words. Help us, Lord, to be people who would speak in a way that would build people up and not tear people down. Father, help us never to create an image of somebody else by the words that we use that is a false image based upon our own perception of that person. With heads bowed and eyes,